Every year on Christmas Eve, just before midnight, my dad and I take a walk. Just me and him. I can see him now. Hear the crunch of his boots on the snow. Our breath would hang in the air as we trudge past the barn. My cheeks would get so red they'd start to hurt. Toes would be numb in my boots, but I'd never complain. Just try as best I could to follow in my dad's footsteps, never quite making it. Past Carter's Creek, and up that little rise that ran to the edge of the pine forest. We'd keep on in the moonlight till we made the clearing at the top of the hill. You could see the whole valley spread out below. And there we'd stand, the two of us, and wait for Christmas. This will be the first year I won't be able to come home and take that walk with my dad. But at least a part of me will be there. Wish we could be together for Christmas. No need to count the many miles that separate us now, because the memories we share will keep us close somehow. Merry Christmas. Love, Sarah. Merry Christmas. Do you love commercials at Christmas time? So everything's all perfect like that on the commercials. Snow always falls just at the right time. Not too much, not too little. Everyone behaves themselves admirably. It's just great. How many of you have a Christmas like that every year? Raise your hand. Yeah, me neither. How many of you have had a Christmas like that in your life? Maybe. We had a Christmas a little bit like that one time. Uh, there was the snow and everything, and Lois had made every, all, the, all the food, and you could just smell it cooking in the house, and all the gifts were under the tree, and everything was perfect that year. It was just so very perfect. I'll never forget that. We lived out in the country, kind of like on the, on the little uh, video there. And then the snow started to come like it's supposed to, and then Lois's family called and said, it's snowing, we can't come. And we're like, that's the whole idea at Christmas. It snows, and then you come... And you make your way through the snow. And they did not come. So Lois was, went from euphorically happy. Like, we all love it when Lois puts the apron on. Good stuff happens when mom is wearing an apron. Amen? She puts the apron on. We're like, yes. She's wearing the apron. Get out of her way. Um, and I'll never forget her taking her little apron off. And like, oh, she was sad. She was, she was so sad that the whole house went into sad. And then I took a walk. Because that's when you do, when it gets really sad in the house. You're like, I'm going to take a walk right now. It wasn't exactly like that. The next Christmas, I think, maybe, maybe it was the next Christmas, we, we were going to go to her family's for Christmas, so that worked out great until I broke the plumbing. Um, somebody had a little trouble with the plumbing, and, you know, I'm a man, so I volunteered to help, and I used a broom, and, well, you don't want to know. It just it didn't work, and... And nobody knew right away until later on when there was water on the floor. And then, I, actually, I didn't know until I, I saw Lois and her sister kind of having words. 
because Lois's sister had said mean things about my plumbing skills. And, and it, it, Lois can say mean things about me, but you can't in front of her because this is how it works. Well, so I broke the plumbing. And the next year I came back, uh, same house. Your sister had Christmas again, and they invited uh, our f- whole family, including me. And I, I came back, and we were playing Pictionary. And when I play Pictionary, you know, I, you know I'm serious about it. And I broke the chair. <laughs> True story, isn't that right? Broke the back off the chair playing Pictionary. And, and the bad thing was that um, the, 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 dining, the dining room table belonged to Bob, my brother-in-law's daughter's grandma, so, who, who died. And so when I broke the chair, then she immediately, you know, kind of started going, You broke my grandma's chair! Something kind of like that. So sometimes just Christmas breaks. <laughs> it just breaks. And it doesn't work. And I want to talk to you today about what do you do in a world that's broken? <laughs> and it's Christmas. Christmas in a broken world. Well, I want to depress you here, but I got a list. Because I've just noticed this. And I, I want to tell you that what I have to say today isn't like an excuse to burn time on Christmas. It's like this is going to be pastoral work today. I'm not coming up with a talk that you're supposed to give at Christmas. This is not what this is, what I'm going to do. What I'm going to talk to you about today is my best attempt as a pastor to help you at what all of us are going through in one way or another. And and I'll, and I'll just be very open about this. And it comes out of, <laughs> it comes out of personal experience. We live in a world that's broken. Even, you know, at, at Christmas time when everything, all the little children are singing like angels and everybody's baking and, and all of that and we're going to be expressing love and goodwill to one another. Let's just talk a little bit about what the world is really like. So here's my little list and I'll read it quickly so that it doesn't depress you too bad. We live in a world that's blighted with conflict right now, crime, with terrorism, with turmoil, that's all the talk right now. Terrorism in America, unheard of when I was a boy. We struggle with people that we know, all of us to some degree, struggle with addictions and dysfunctions that tend to intensify at Christmas time. And then there are those disappointments and betrayals. They're like a part of life. Here, here's my list. We have to deal with aging and illness are sometimes diseases or chronic or physical conditions. I, Holly told me about a, a lady named Cherie who, she works at this company, and her job at the company is to be the office manager of a, large, of a, of a medium-sized company. It's a big job. She's a smart lady. And her job is, um, this, this week was to print all the labels that would go uh, like little name badges for all the employees for the Christmas party. And she was going to put their name, she put the name, and then she put the number of years they'd worked with the company. So she printed her own name and, and the number 17. But when she printed that, it made her heart sad because, you see, she's in her second round of battling cancer, and this time it's unlikely she's going to make it. And she said... To her co-workers, I always thought I was going to get to work here 
for 20 years, but it doesn't look like it now. So when you say Merry Christmas to somebody like that, you know, they live in a broken world. Well, then there's, uh, think about this, eventually we'll have to face the loss of loved ones. Some of you have already faced that, some of you not so much. I have a good friend named Ed Vialba, and we've known him for years. And I noticed on his Facebook this week that he put a picture up of his Christmas tree, and it was so pretty. His wife, he's, a, he's from Taylor. He was raised right here in Taylor, a Hispanic guy. His wife, a Scandinavian, raised up in Door County, Wisconsin, blonde. They had, had two kids, a girl and a boy. And this year, like, unexplicably, their boy, who's in his 40s, died. And Ed wrote, We're all here to celebrate Christmas, but Tim is in the presence of the Lord this year. We live in a, live in a broken world. And then there was that picture of Linda decorating her house. And the kids said, well, Linda's still trying to make it Christmas, even though Bobby isn't here this year. You can't change that. That's the world we live in. It's broken. And if you don't struggle with trouble in your marriage, it's probably because you're, you're single. <laughs> Not everybody has a marriage like us, honey. Where all the women are strong and all the children are good looking. Yeah. The men are good looking, yeah. And then there's if you're not married, you might be single and you want to be married. And that's serious situation for a lot of people. And then there are those who have children in trouble, which is like everybody, kids that are struggling in some way, or they, or they got just outward, wayward kids, or some don't even know where their kids are, and others wish they could have kids. And that's a painful circumstance. And they worry that maybe they'll never have kids. Millions live in loneliness. Some people live with somebody that it would be easier to live without. All of us have past regrets. All of us have past guilt. All of us have past shame. And Christmas can be a time, right, of unrealistic or unrealized expectations, which makes it kind of worse. It's supposed to be perfect, and we all know it's not perfect. And, and more than a few of us battle with depression... Uh, many quietly wrestle with, or even secretly wrestle with, sexual confusion that they really can't talk about that much, or they yield to impure habits, and that hangs over their head. Many dutifully plod through life without a sense of meaning or without a sense of significance. They just kind of feel empty, and they can't explain it. Families are often broken or fractured or are not quite right or separated, and that brokenness hits really close to home because it's in All of our homes, I believe this. I'm a pastor. I deal with people. Brokenness is in every home where a human heart beats. There's an expression of the brokenness that's in this world. And that's why I want to talk to you about Christmas in a broken world. There are money pressures with many that make life difficult at some point. Very few people get through life without having any money pressures. Even if you have a lot, you you kind of argue about what you do with it. It's a problem I would love to have. Um... And then, but I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that. And then there are those inexplicable family tensions. And it's just like, Lawson, well, this true with us, like, 
No, no two human beings in the world ever want to make Christmas happier for their kids than you and I did. And then sometimes that was the hardest time in the whole world to make things happy. It just didn't go right sometimes. Overall, I'd say they were all happy Christmases. But some of our hardest memories are right during Christmas. I'm not even going to tell you about them. They would make great stories, and you would love to hear them, but Los would kill me. Can I just tell you that what I'm talking about this, I know what I'm talking about. When I say to you that Christmas tends to intensify whatever stuff you already are doing, right? Whatever brokenness is already there, (laughs) Christmas tends to intensify that. So the question is then, how in the world should we just like not do this Christmas thing? I mean, some have said that, like, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to help you. Or or should we just kind of give in to the brokenness? Or or should we like become sort of like cynical people? Certainly not. We don't want to become that kind of people, like, you know, perpetual Scrooge cynical types. You know, the, the technical word for that is probably despair. It's probably the highest form of it. The lowest form is it's like, I look at life, it's broken, and if I don't, like, check out, I despair. I kind of put a black cloud over all of it, and I go, my life is bad, the world is bad, my life is bad, things aren't going to get better. It's, and, and maybe all of us wrestle a little bit with, like, oh, I got dealt a bad hand here, and things aren't going to go well for me. And you are tempted to resignation or, or perhaps despair. How do you fight off that? I mean, you, you heard the story of the, 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 the beautiful Christmas song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, that beautiful long fellow. He, he wrote it, you know. You know the story. His son, his six children, his wife died a couple years earlier. It, it was caught on fire. He tried to put the fire out, burned his face. That's why he had a beard. He grew a beard to cover up from the injury of trying to save his wife's life, but failing to do that. And his heart was broken. They had six children. One died in infancy, five living children. The oldest of them goes off without permission and signs up to fight in the, in the war between the states. And not long after that, in December of that year, the word comes that he's been critically injured. A bullet passed through his shoulder, just barely missing his spinal column. He's going to be a long time recovering if he lives. And this is the setting in which he sits down and he writes those words, Then in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and it mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men? How do you keep from despair or resignation or cynicism? How do you keep hope alive? And how do you keep your heart tender? And how do you keep from having a broken heart when the world around you is broken? And how do you keep the brokenness in the world from getting in your marriage and breaking your marriage or breaking your kids? And how do you keep from losing your joy and your meaning and your significance? How do you do that? What hope do you have when you face the end of your life or lack of money or you look around in a twisted world with a broken heart? Let me just say this simply. Here is how you keep from despair. You understand this Christmas thing. That's how. And the old timers used to say you keep Christmas. You observe. You keep Christmas. But Peter Marshall, in a, in a message on this, talked about keeping Christmas, not just celebrating Christmas. My goodness, I think, you know, when I look at people and what they do at Christmas time, sometimes I say they're just enduring Christmas. 
They're like, let's get this thing done. Let's do the stuff that's got to be done. Let's, let's get it over with and let's get on with life because this is just a, I'm enduring. And that, that's, that doesn't seem like a, the optimal attitude about a time of year like this. Others are, uh, let's face it, they're abusing Christmas, right? They're like, party time. If I, I don't need an excuse for a party. Christmas? Okay, well, whatever excuse. And so there's the drunkenness, there's the immorality, the stuff that kind of punctuates the life of people who really don't have any hope in God. And they use Christmas for an excuse. They're abusing Christmas. Let's, here, here's what I believe. I believe, and I have discovered, and I have experienced this in our very own life, in our very own home, and the people that I have tried to help, I've experienced this, and that is that keeping Christmas is a big thing to do in order to keep from despair and to keep your heart tender and to keep joy in your life. And that is recognizing what is this whole story about? What is going on? What is God doing? What was God doing? Keeping Christmas. Not enduring, not abusing, but understanding what God is doing and leaning into what God is doing by trusting Him with all your heart. You notice that there's something in the air this time of the year, even with people who don't quite get it. Lois said yesterday, somebody paid for her breakfast at McDonald's. Somebody behind her, a lady behind her, paid for her breakfast at McDonald's. You just do stuff like that at Christmas time. Man. Even sometimes people who don't know the Lord, they have that. They sense, There's something about that. They sense the value of peace on earth or kindness or charity toward other people. Now, why is that? I, I, I'm just saying that Here's what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. The angel talks to, breaks into J- Joseph's troubled dream, right? And he says to him that, you, that Mary's going to have a son. And says to him in Matthew 1, 21, something interesting. You will call his name. What's next? Jesus. What's that mean? Jesus means, the words Joshua of the Old Testament means deliverer, conqueror. It's like Braveheart. It's like deliverer guy. It's like the hero of the movie who comes in and saves the day. That's his name. His name is Savior. Jesus is what that name means. It means he's coming to deliver. He's coming to deliver oppressed people. From what? Their enemy. Which is what? Deliver from what? He will save his people from their sins. No, I know you're thinking Darth Vader. Not Darth Vader. Sins. Save us from our sins. Isn't that wonderful? Think about that. So God has a plan. He's like writing this great epic story. And to embed this in your heart and in your memory, I'm going to give you three words to help you. And here's what will help you keep Christmas and understand, like, because you got to get the guts of it. You got to have the theological truth of it, or it's just like a party that will disappoint you and it will kind of leave you feeling empty. When you understand that, okay, there's a story that God has written and we are now in the middle of it. And it's going to have a really good end. Then you're keeping Christmas and recognizing you're worshiping Christ at this time. And then you're not going to despair. And here are the three words I will tell you. I've used them before. I will use them many times again. They're, they're, they're scriptural ideas, okay? And they're really how Jesus delivers us from sin. Can you remember these? This, this will be for a memory device, okay? Think of justified or justification. Think of sanctification or sanctified. And think of glorification or glorified. Justified, sanctified, glorified are the ways that God has. It's a kind of like shorthand of a way to describe how God wants to deliver us from sin. And they kind of go past, 
present, and future. So, right? So in the past, we have these sins on our account, right? Talking about salvation here. Justification by grace through faith alone, not works, but by grace through faith alone in the belief and faith and trust in the death and burial and resurrection of Christ for our sins. When we are burdened or belabored by the memory of past sin or by the presence of sinfulness, what's the first thing that we do to keep Christmas? Is we get to say, make sure you're saved. Next, that's number one. You're not going to make it in this broken world until you're confident that you're born again. You need to be confident that you are saved. You need to get that figured out. Get people to help you, walk you through that, draw you a picture, show you the passages. That's justification. That's how we deal with our past sin and the presence, really, of sinfulness in our lives. That's the first thing. Take your Bibles, if you will, and look in in, uh, Romans. I'm going to show you these things out of Romans. Romans chapter 4. This is verse, uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 3. What does the scripture say, Paul writes? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But listen to this. This is verse 5. This is Romans 4, 5. If you're not looking at your Bible, you know, you might write it down to go back and look at this later. Listen, but him who does, listen, him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. David, you remember when we were in my office and we are talking about that, David? Remember that? We are in my office and we are talking about that? Who does not work, but justifies the ungodly. I remember your eyes going, boop, like that. Got really big. That's a big deal. That's what your eyes should do. Justifies who? Church-going little cherubs? No. The ungodly. Oh, sometimes they're the same. <laughs> they justifies the ungodly. Guys, are you paying attention to that? That's like a big deal right there. That'll help you when you're handed the pieces of your life. Wait a minute. God justifies the ungodly. He makes righteous those who don't have their own righteousness. And that happens by what? Works or by faith? Faith. By faith. That's what it says right there. Him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness as if he had his own righteousness. Just as David describes the blessedness of the man whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord shall not impute sin. When, when God takes off the sin off your account, you're not accountable for it anymore, and he puts the righteousness of his son, that's justification, that's what we call getting saved. Can you see how that would help you in a broken world? You're like, yeah, the world's broken, but I'm justified, I'm right with God. Yes, the world is broken, but something's going on in me. I've got spiritual life in me. See, I'm not going to have to pay for my sins. Jesus already paid for them. You want that to be true. You want that to be true. Okay, so that's one. Here's the second word, and that is sanctified. So if sin is troubling you, number one, and you have a, you, you have a sense that you're in a broken world, uh, your, your family, or whatever, make sure you're saved and everybody that you can influence to get saved, get saved. That's number one. Then your problems will be over and you will no longer have any problems. Yeah, you know, that's not true. You're like, are you kidding with me? That, that's not, that might even be more problems. Yeah. No, you'll still have a problem. Why is that? Because God has designed that we have a, what, what some call progressive sanctification that we have, that we, this is what the term that we use. Come, it's kind of like get saved. And then what's that? You grow, you got to grow. Some people, 
they make a profession of faith and they never, they never grow. They stay in the kiddie pool all, all whole life. You know, like they're like 65 years old and they're down there in the kiddie pool. You're like, come on, get in the deep water, brother. It's like, I like it in the kiddie pool. Yeah, but all the kids are like coming up to your knees. You look weird. Get out in the deep water. A lot of Christians are like that. When are you going to stop gossiping? Later, I'm loving the kiddie pool. Seriously, going to die before you quit doing that? Why can't, when are you going to grow? When are we going to see some growth in you? Get in a grow group, for pity's sake. That's like, a, like, he's always bringing that up. There's a reason I'm always bringing that up. Because you can't grow if you just come and sit in a pew. This is just where we get you irritated. See what I'm saying? That's what we do. We just come, we irritate you. And then you're like, oh, that just irritates me. Well, get in a grow group and they'll be nice to you there. And you'll start to grow in the Lord. It really helps to get face-to-face with another Christian and just be honest and open and get in the Word and pray together. And you have a prayer partner or go to a Christian counselor or, to a, or you know, you have a struggle in your marriage. You know, some people, they struggle in their marriage for years and years and years and years and they don't get any help until they're almost... They, why don't you start earlier? I think people should like... I'm not sure about premarital counseling because I do a lot of it and the kids, starry-eyed kids are not listening. You know what I'm saying? All they want to hear is, you know... The details about the, the wedding itself, they don't want to talk about Because that's not, you know, I think we ought to have, like, as soon as you get married, come and talk to me then. Or just wait till you have your first little kerfuffle. Isn't that a good word? You ever had a kerfuffle? I can show you what that's like. Yeah. And then when you have your first little blip in this, you know, when you have your first little, you know, when she decides that she's going to sleep on a couch. I, like Lois said, she wanted to sleep on a couch when we first got married. I said, we can sleep on a couch. She said, that's not the idea. I'm going to sleep on the couch. I said, well, anyway, I could have left that part out of the message and it would have been just fine. Uh, anyway, but I didn't. I didn't. And that's why you come back, you know. Um, but here's, here's the thing. Why don't you get help earlier and grow? I mean, seriously. Sometimes the stuff that breaks your heart is because you're not growing. It's just that simple. Your heart is broken because you're not growing. And you're not changing. And you're not... God says, I will transform you. You don't have to be a slave to sin. That's what Romans 6, 7, and 8 says. Romans 6 says, you don't have to be enslaved. You don't have to be in bondage to your sin. But some of you are professing Christians who are still getting beat up by your sin because you've never taken advantage of the opportunities that you have to grow in the Lord. And when are you going to start? I'm just, this would help you when you're handed the pieces of a broken life and you're already saved. You go, well, I'm already saved. What's next? Well, time to grow. And sometimes God will break your heart so that you will grow. And you'll be like driving your car and crying and think, God, why am I going through this? And he's whispering, because I love you and I want you to grow. I'm not done with you yet. I'm helping you. You're like, are you kidding me? Can we do this another way? Is there another way we can do this? He's like, I'm God. So this is how I'm going to do it, he says to us, right? And so just get on your knees and say, okay, God, help me grow. Do you see this? Devote yourself to continual growth. So if you want it in steps, here's step number one. Make sure you're saved. When you know you're in a broken world, you don't want to give it a despair, a resignation. Make sure you're born again. Make sure all God's children born again, all right? Then the second thing is, make sure that you're committed to continually growing in the Lord and keep humbling yourself and continue to grow and do whatever you need to do to keep on growing. You should be listening to preaching through the week, not just mine, other people's. You should be memorizing scripture or reading the word or getting in prayer or serving the Lord. Just grow. This is the process of sanctification. You should, like every year, you should try to take aim at something and, and say, you know, pick, pick things off. Your kids should be able to see your growth. Your wife should be able to see your growth. 
You, know, you remember when you were little and your mom marked your growth on the wall? What if you just got stuck down there? That little cute stage wouldn't be cute that long after you got really in there. You didn't grow. Your mom would be freaking out. She'd be taking you to, to get some help because you didn't grow. But like we're used to that around the church. People not growing just like that's just what they're like. Why? Don't they have the Holy Spirit living in them? Aren't they ever convicted of their sin? They're just looking for change to change other people. Like why, why are you here? Well, we should, it's like a car wash. You come to get, come and grow. That's what I'm saying. You say, well, you're being mean to me. No, no, no. I'm being loving to you. I know you have brokenness in your life. And I'm telling you that if you're saved and there's that evidence of brokenness, that one of the reasons is because God wants you to grow. And some of that really will get better if you grow. I know this. I know this. There are things that used to be in my life that they're not in my life anymore. There are things that used to complicate my life that don't complicate my life anymore. There are things that poor Lois had to see that my kids have never seen because God took them out of my life. Can you say that? Can you say that? Can you say, it used to be this, but now it's this. Once I was blind, but now I see. I used to get angry all the time, but God took that kind of anger out of my life, and my kids don't see that anymore. Listen to me. You have the Holy Spirit of God living in you. And if you do not hinder Him, He can do all kinds of transformational changes in you unless you don't believe it. A lot of the stuff that just breaks our heart and depresses us is just because we're not growing in the Lord. So I say to you, in great love for you, when Christmas breaks your heart, or when this world breaks your heart, and you're standing there with the pieces of brokenness in your hands then it might very well be that the Holy Spirit who loves you is whispering in your ear, it's time for you to grow up. Time for you to go to the next level. Time for you to go let your roots get deeper. If you're not sure, ask your husband, ask your wife, ask your kids. They'll help you out. Ask me. I'm here to help. <laughs> okay, that's, that was a joke right there. Yeah. Okay, and then the third thing, <laughs> third thing is, it's bad when you have to tell people you told a joke. That's always bad. It's like you don't quit your day job. Third, Jesus' plan to save or deliver from the very presence of sin in the future and make the world and everything in it the way that it was supposed to be, it's called glorification. That's when God is, glor- that's our, what we call the glorified state, and it actually will happen in the earth. And so you have, like in Romans 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and, and that you have all that right there. So like in Romans 4, we read about how you're justified by faith, that's, Get saved deals with your past sin and and your sin nature, uh, and then sanctification it deals with your practice of sin and your indwelling sin and and your your growing in the Lord, and then glorification like Romans eight. Listen to Romans eight. Romans 8 says in verse 18, I love this. I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation is subjected to futility. What this passage is going to say is that the world is broken and it's waiting for God to fix it. And when God fixes the people that are broken in the broken world, he's going to fix the broken world too. Which is kind of neat for him to do that. We look at the world, we go, I like it, but it's broken. I like the Christmas idea, but why doesn't it work like it's supposed to work? You know, how come it doesn't 
everything isn't just so perfect. This because we live in a broken world, but the one who made it is going to come back and fix it better than new. He's going to fix you better than new. He's going to fix the world better than new. And what the passage right here says, and so we eagerly wait the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. And they, and they say in the original language, I'm not, a st- I'm not a scholar of the original languages, but students tell me this, that it's like you're standing on tiptoes in anticipation for God to do what he promised he's going to do someday. That's what keeps Christmas from breaking your heart. When you understand it. And the hymns, I mean, that, you're not going to get that by listening to Frosty the Snowman. Cute song, but it's kind of like shallow theology. It ain't going to do that for you. But the, but the carols of Christmas have that theology in them. If you listen for it, you can hear it very clearly in the theology of these. No more let sins and sorrows grow or thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his glories flow far as the curse is found. He's going to come and fix it all someday. So, did you watch that movie, The Pursuit of Happiness? Horrifying, depressing movie. Did you see that? What's the guy's name? Smith? What's his name? Smith? Yeah, you know, Will Smith, right? So he's like a homeless single dad, and he is in terrible despair. The entire movie! It's like the whole movie until the last 30 seconds. I would suggest if you watch it, fast forward to the last two minutes... Because you'll be so depressed by the time that movie is over. A lot of people are living in that movie, though. It's the pursuit of happiness. And, the, and it's, it's like when something happens bad, and then two more bad things happen on top of that, and then more bad things. And they're like, how can I ever... You know, of course, this, the movie's kind of sad because the end of the movie... Oh, wait. That would be spoiling it, wouldn't it? Anyway, let's just say the guy doesn't get saved at the end. Yeah. I was speaking in a faraway place. And I walked in, and since I was new, I was really conscious that I wanted to make sure I greeted everybody. There were just three women in the lobby of the church then. So I went up to the first one, and I warmly greeted her. She's a sweet elderly lady, and she said, we're so glad you're here. We've been praying for you. And another one then. And then the third lady that I, I shook her hand, and when I did, I looked at her, and I thought, that's a man. It's a man. Perfect makeup, shapely, a beautiful dress. It was a man. And then I went back and they took care of me and I preached. And when I gave the invitation, she came forward. Because it was like confessing a need for love is what the idea was there. That the pastor had extended the invitation. And I said to the pastor, I have a burden for that one lady in the black and white dress. Can you tell me about her? And he said, well, it's a man. But obviously, he's confused. So I went to bed that night thinking, I've preached two more times here. How am I going to help him? You don't just, you're a guy, you don't just wake up in the morning and put on a girl's clothes and go to church, you know, because it's fun. You, there's a person that's struggling with some heartache, some hardships, some difficulty, some brokenness, some fallenness there. What if I, to, I went to sleep without an answer? I mean, you know, I know, I know what you're supposed to say. You're supposed to say, God can change you, and He can. But if you've dealt with people, you know, changes come really hard for people. Not just like you snap your fingers and people just instantly change, right? Right? That's the way it is for you. Fill me in. I'll read your book. I, I got some stuff I'm struggling with. I just struggle and struggle. It's like I, 
I really am. You know, as I think about it, I pray about it, I work at it. And, and the Lord gives me, you know, victories, and then I kind of, you know. So this, this guy, I'm, I go to, go to sleep, and, and, and I can't, and I stay up late, and I think, what? How can I help him? And then lying awake in my bed in the morning, it came to my heart again. I thought, this is it. This isn't the only thing to say, but this is it. And this is what the scriptures are teaching us here. God is going to make everything broken right someday. So if I have brokenness in my life, and I do, doesn't look like his brokenness, but it's bad. Then I make sure I'm saved. Then I'm growing in the Lord. And even if I continually, all my life, am struggling with the downward tug of the brokenness in my life, that ugly brokenness that tugs me down, even if I struggle with that all my life, God takes me one day to glory where forever and forever and forever and forever in the presence of the King, I'm free of all of my brokenness and all of my sin and all the stuff that messed me up. Hallelujah! That's the answer. So I, uh, I pastored in a number of churches. I, I was a youth pastor at two churches called Park. Fulkerson Park and Loomis Park. I was the pastor of two first churches. That's unique, isn't it? First church. And then I was the pastor of a, I was a pastor of a church called Brandon and another one called Byron, named after their towns, and one called Beaver. That was one of my favorite names. Beaver Chapel. You like that? You're a hard group today. Yeah. <laughs> it's Beaver Chapel. A church only a mother could love. No, it was a good church, but the name was weird. You know, it was on Swamp Col- it was at Swamp College on Swamp Road. Beaver Chapel. It's the name of it. And, uh, but I like Evangel best. Of all the churches I pastored, that Evangel name, it has a Christmassy ring to it. Evangel. Evangel. Tell people good news. But this week I heard about a church with a different name. And, and I like it too. The church's name was Mosaic. I'm like, when I hear that, I go, Explain. Okay, here's the explanation for Mosaic. Pastor says, here's what our church is. It's a bunch of broken people. Just all broken. And when life breaks them, and they take the pieces of their broken life, and they bring them to God, and then he makes a beautiful mosaic out of them. He takes the brokenness, the broken marriage, the broken sexual dysfunction, the broken gluttony, the broken gossip, the broken whatever. And you bring it to him and he takes the pieces and he makes something beautiful. Merry Christmas, right? Right? That's the story. That's the deal. Christmas, I wrote this down for you. Christmas is the promise that the most beautiful flowers can grow in the darkest soil. You know where I came up with that? I'm just being open with you here. I came up with that for my family picture. I think, you know, we have eight kids, and, and they all look like their mom. Thank God, you know. And so they're, they're, they're cute. And so you look at the picture. Oh, look at those cute kids. People will say, oh, that's a beautiful picture. And then I want to go, well, it isn't always like it looks right there. You know, we do love the Lord, and we do love each other. And, and you could come to our house, and you would see some wonderful things. And sometimes you, like, shouldn't come to our house, you know. Right? I don't know if it's like that in your house, but there are times I'm like, oh, my. The Lord said the other day, <laughs> we were talking about, 
<laughs> next door neighbor, when you say stuff that's not in your notes, you're always in you know, thin ice. So, so, but people listen so well then. Um, uh, the next door neighbor, and I said, hey, remember we lived in that house for so many years? And she goes, yeah, we didn't have air conditioning. I wonder the stories they could tell. That would mean about, you know, what they heard in our house. Because we're like broken people. And everything isn't always perfect. And there are sometimes my heart was just so broken and so in such pain. I would just go to the Lord and I would say, tell me all of this is true, God. Because my roots are down in it. And if I don't have that, I don't have anything. And he whispers in my heart, it's true. Live it and go tell people. And then I think, oh my goodness. And I see the kids. And I think the most beautiful flowers grew in the darkest soil. And I wanted to encourage you with that. Because maybe you're going to go through a hardship at Christmas or a brokenness or things aren't just so perfect for you. And I want to remind you that God is so powerful. Jesus is so merciful that he will grow these most beautiful things in the darkest soil of our life. And another way of saying it is Christmas is a beautiful reminder that Jesus is quietly going about changing the world one broken heart at a time. That's just the way he does things. He just quietly goes through this world and he waits for people to give them the broken pieces of their life. And then he takes them and he does something wonderful. And we haven't even seen it, what it looks like yet. Because he isn't done yet. You see, we're in the middle of a story. And that's really the heart of it. It's like, he isn't done yet. Of course it's broken. That's Good stories are like that. They're all scary in the middle. They're ugly in the middle. We don't know how they're going to finish. Unless, of course, we read the end of the book. Jesus said it like this. These things have I spoken to you that you might have peace. In John 16, 33, in the world you will have tribulation. In your house you will have tribulation. In your church, in your town, in your nation you will have. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I know your world is broken. God says, I made it and I can fix it better than new. So don't despair. Now, we have just two more meetings before Christmas. We have one tonight at 6. Get here early. It's big time tonight. Big time. We have cookies afterward. You're going to bring them. <laughs> I was told to say that. Yeah. Bring the cookies. No, the cookies that on your shelves that you know you shouldn't be eating, just bring them tonight. Share them with others. Um, it's really a big deal. And here's why. Because I, I will tell you this. We're about evangel. We're about telling people about this story. And the people that we're most likely to connect with are the people that are kind of related to us in some way. And a lot of them don't come to church regularly, but they'll come tonight. And so can we just shine up and be on our best behavior tonight? All right? Can you like come and be, just roll out the red carpet of welcome to everybody who comes in the house tonight and smile and be joyful and go up there and bring cookies and, you know, and, and hang out. And it's, we only have two more chances before Christmas and tonight's one of them. And you, you will not be able to keep from weeping when you see the little ones in their beauty telling a story about the Christ child. And then there's the Christmas Eve candlelight service. Some of you have family plans, and I get that. But many of you will not have, your family plans will include that. And we have extra brochures to, to help you invite. But here's what, I, here's what I wanted to do before we quit uh, today. Just one thing. You know, at the end of the service, what we've been, you ever notice that lately what we've been doing is we've been asking uh, one of the men or women of the church, generally leaders, to come and pray. Uh, and to pronounce a benediction or, or to pray. And so, well, one of our deacons is a singer deacon, and 
We heard a song on the radio, and we thought, that deacon should sing this song. We have a couple of few deacon singers, but we asked Dale to come and sing this beautiful Christmas song for you. And it'll be the last word, How Many Kings. So listen up now, and in case I don't get to tell you tonight, Merry Christmas.